good evening. Be up all night tossing, turning, mind racing. Can't get to sleep. Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Game of Drones, presented by Sleep With Me. The Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with a boring episode discussion. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out your lights, and press play. We'll do the rest. The podcast is going to create a safe place where you can put aside everything that's running through your brain. You can put that aside. And just listen as I dissect the parts of the Game of Thrones episode. This week, Season 4, Episode 1, Two Swords, we'll be talking about. We'll be talking about stuff that didn't happen in the episode. And stuff that other Game of Thrones... Uh, and stuff other Game of Thrones podcasts don't cover because they are interesting and the show is interesting. I'm going to talk about boring stuff. Stuff that's going to carry you off into dreamland. Now that's the goal of the podcast and how the podcast works. If this is your first time here or you're here because you came here for Game of Thrones content, we will have Game of Thrones content. But it's here to help you fall asleep. So that's it. You just get in bed. You listen to this podcast, and ideally, it helps you fall asleep. It's not that complicated. It's odd, very strange, very probably, probably you're still like, what What the hell is it? I mean, if, well, I guess if you don't have problems sleeping, you probably already shut this podcast off. So if you're listening, that's it. I'm not going to try to sell you any tapes or CDs or MP3s or any, like, sleep-soothing apps or any of that garbage i'm just a dude that one i mean i wish i had one of the game of thrones podcasts that was like interesting like where i give episode recaps and i'm funny and i'm insightful or i have this uh, massive trove of history that i can access inside my brain or i have some literary i can connect stuff to shakespeare or chaucer no unfortunately i don't have any of those that those aren't my skills my skill is taking a Game of Thrones episode, looking at it and being like, huh, that, that interests me. But it turns out when I share that, it's dull as anything. So that's it. You can find us on the web at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones for the Game of Drones episodes. You can find us on iTunes if you search for Sleep With Me. That'll be our main feed with all of our, our weekly episodes. Or you can just sign up for Game of Drones. That's just the Game of Drones episodes. And they come out once a week on Sundays. Otherwise, we have episodes, Sleep With Me podcast episodes that come out on Tuesday and Thursday. So welcome if you're new here. And you want to send me feedback? It's feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. Twitter, at Dearest Scooter. And that's it. Let's get on to Game of Drones. Thank you. And I hope you guys will like this segment. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, you <laughs> you might like it, you might hate it. Hopefully it helps you sleep. If you don't watch Game of Thrones, it still might help you fall asleep. There's going to be plenty of factoids. There will be probably some spoilers, but the season I'm recording this the Saturday before the last episode of the season. So hopefully you've seen season four. If you haven't, because you're behind, catch up. you got plenty of time. We're doing episode one. If you haven't because you've never watched Game of Thrones, 
I'm not sure I'm the Game of Thrones expert to tell you whether you should just go in and start watching season four or if you should go back to season one. All I can tell you is season four is mind-blowing in the quality of the drama, the quality of the interpersonal relationships. So we're going to cover the boring parts of Game of Thrones. Do, 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 do. And I will have a, a song tonight. So tonight we're covering the first episode, season four, episode one, Two Swords, it's called. And what we're going to be talking about tonight is we're going to be talking about steel and steel that they use to make swords. What What is steel? Quick question I didn't know the answer to, even though I probably should have. And what, what, what kind of steel goes into making swords? And what, what was this uh, steel they were talking about at the top of the episode? Next thing we're going to talk about is the Reigns of Castamere, the Lannister song. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Next thing we're going to talk about is prosthetic limbs back in the day. After that, we're going to talk about fools and jest- jesters. And if we have some extra time, I might cover uh, conventions and naming a sword and famous sword names, but we might save that for the next episode couple things I wanted to talk about, but I didn't, um, wasn't able to do the quality of research that I would have liked for these topics, so I didn't do them. At one point, one character says to another, a thousand songs are going to be written about you after your wedding when you look so beautiful. And it got me thinking, like, who has most of the song? like, who has the most songs written about them? Has there anyone ever had a thousand songs written about them? I mean, I know they say, like, Helen of Troy had a face that launched a thousand ships. So was it just, a like, a throw shout-out to Helen of Troy? And it, so I tried to do some research on this. And I tried a couple of different ways to phrase my searching. Now, I'm not a intellectual. I'm not a researcher. So I'm putting this out to you guys. You know, if someone, if someone wants to do this research and find out, be cool. But everything I came up against was Carol King. Carol King kept clogging all the searches about, and it probably maybe because she's written the most songs. I was getting irritated, and I was also distracted because I have a really good Carol King story. Not that I've met her, not that I don't like Carol King. I do, but so that's another thing I can go to if the well runs dry in this episode. But Carol King, probably not the Game of Thrones Carol King. They they don't really interconnect. So that was one thing, the like a thousand songs being written about you. The other thing was, um, if you watch the episode, the interactions between Cersei and Jaime Lannister, and Cersei's mad at just spoiler alert, but Cersei's mad. <laughs> Cersei's mad at Jaime uh, in this episode because he was kidnapped and he was away from her. And it made me think about this whole – I did some research again. I wasn't able to find the answers. I'm like, what is – is there a syndrome when you're really mad at someone because they were kidnapped or because they died? Like, and I, I know it's part of the stages of grief, and that's a lot of the research that was coming up in my searches. But is there like a kind of like a reverse Stockholm syndrome? I mean it makes sense from a psychological standpoint from an armchair psychologist as myself – but you know, is there a, is there a syndrome? I have like the Helsinki syndrome. I'm just putting it out there because it was the first thing that came to my head. Probably already being used for something. But you know, so what's Cersei suffering from other than 
the Cersei syndrome, we could call it. You know, what what's going on? I mean, no, nothing's going on with it. I'm not trying to... Uh, psychoanalyzing Cersei would not be boring. And I find myself desperately attracted to Cersei because probably because I know it's bad for me. And that would be bad news. And you probably don't want to get a... I mean, that's a woman you want to avoid at all costs. But yeah, so so I'm in. I'm like, oh, Jamie's out? Well, hey, Cersei, how about we go on a date? She'd be like, no, execute him. Uh, pro- well, let's keep my fantasies off the uh, podcast. But, but yeah, that was another thing I couldn't, unfortunately, come up with a cool answer. I could have made something up. I guess now I'm, I'm thinking out loud. I could have pretended I was a psychologist, interviewed myself, and presented the Helsinki syndrome that Cersei was suffering from. But if any of you are in the mental health field or friends with uh, Kubler-Ross, I forget her first name. It starts with an E, I believe. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Is that her real name? I don't know. You know the 49 stages of grief and the 15 languages of love? I think she wrote both those books. No, but she's famous for... The uh, stages of grief, grief, the stages of grief, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I believe. So I don't know. So those were some boring things that I could have talked about that I'm not. But let's get moving on this, the first inaugural episode of Game of Drones. And I have a song at the end of the episode that I wrote before I started this entire podcast. So we'll get to that at the end. All right, so let's talk steel here, folks. Now, one thing that stuck out to me about this episode, especially after watching the second, third, and third episodes of the season, is that they have this pre-title sequence sequence of the uh, forging, the melting of the... Well, they, first they do the previously on Game of Thrones, and it does cover a... It's the beginning of the season, so it covers a broad spectrum, but it was always like... A, they execute Ned Stark at the end. Spoiler, post-spoiler alert. But um, I was like, that was weird that they ended with that. And then they have this sequence where someone's forging, they're breaking down a sword and then forging what seems to be two swords. And the title of the episode is Two Swords. I don't know if they've ever done this or not. Do they do this at every first episode of the season? Like, is that a pre-roll but this pre-sequence. So, again, I'm not a, I'm not the uh, sharpest tack on the block, but a metaphor alert, I'd say, is that uh, if you melt one sword and make two, what the hell happens is maybe the uh, theme of the season. When you melt a sword and make two anew, what will, will your something, something uh, do? So that's one thing. Uh, the sword that's melted down is Ned Stark's sold uh, sword, which the name will come to me at some point. We're, we're not going to do the sword naming conventions right now anyway. But um, it's made of Valerian steel, which uh, Jamie and his father, Tyrion, Ty, Tywin, I'm sorry, Tyrion, not to insult you, played by, I mean, Charles Dance, man. Whew. What a, what a wonderful wonderful uh, I, I don't know I'm moving on I hope Charles Dance is the one that plays 
Tywin. But uh, he presents Jamie the sword forged from Valerian steel. They kind of talk about it. But So you might be like me if you're not entrenched. What's the big deal about Valerian steel? Well, let me tell you what the big deal is. First of all, it's a rare. Ain't nobody got it because Valeria is like some old school stuff that ain't around anymore. Valeria had, Valer, Val, Valeria had dragons, and dragons were involved in the forging of Valerian steel. So we're some sort of ma- – you notice there's not a whole lot of magic going on in uh, Game of Thrones thus far that I know of. I, by the way, FYI, I read the first two books, and then I loved the show so much I stopped reading the first – maybe I only read the first book and a half. But I stopped reading because I was just so blown away by the quality TV show. I, I want to be shocked. And, oh, boy, I've gotten some doozies. Stay off the Internet if you like Game of Thrones. That's my advice to you. Don't read or read. But stay off the Internet. Okay, so Valerian Steel. It's lighter. It's stronger. It holds its edge. And it has magical properties um, that are vaguely referred to on the Internet, which uh, if you've ever played any level of role-playing game, whether it be pen and pencil, P&P, I think people call it, or I guess it's pencil and paper, <laughs> pen, and, pen and pencil. I used to play that with my brother, and then he uh, lost his Adam's apple, and that was my first time in lockup. But... Um, um, Going down memory road, so if you play like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, if you even played basic role-playing games, I know there was this Flash game about five or ten years ago where you were this gladiator and you were fighting. Even that, you get like a sword, and after a while you can get a better sword, and it's got like a plus four damage or critical hit. It's got some sort of, it's imbued with some sort of magic that makes it do something extra special. I think that makes a Valerian steel not lose its edge and just makes a wielder slightly more badass. But you should be badass if you're using it. Now, unfortunately, old Charles Dance Tywin, he's given out to a man missing his hand, his sword hand, and a little brat, a little shit. Pardon my French, Joffrey, but now... They give they give the good they they really spread the writing around, and the good dialogue around. But Charles Dance had this killer thing, where he kind of said, uh, "Let's." I'm paraphrasing because I'm not in the league of anybody on the show. But he said, "You know, forty year old swordsman missing his missing his sword hand needs all the help. Now, forty year old with no family, no sword hand needs all the help you can get. Something like that." Pretty pretty much you should watch Game of Thrones. If you take anything away from this podcast, uh, watch Game of Thrones. So that's Valerian Steel. And now I'm, I'm thinking you might be like me. You might be uh, not on top of things. What's steel? You know, I've, I, I probably knew it at some point. I forgot it. Steel's an alloy. What's an alloy? It's a combination of steel. Let me look at my notes. Alloy is a combination of iron and another element, usually carbon. What does alloy mean? Mixture, mixture. Now, what do we got? Carbon is Fe26. 
that's iron. All right. So what do we got in there? Iron, Fe26. A little drop a little periodic table on you, only because I have it written in front of me. Carbon is C6. So those are combined into, uh, they're forged, which means they're melted and and kind of, you know, pounded out and stuff. People are doing it nowadays. It's back in. It's been back in for a while. People that do um, crucible here, right here in uh, Oakland, California. They've got a fire truck that's also a forge thingamajig. And I'm sure if anyone's been to Burning Man, I've not, but... You know, I'm sure they're forging stuff like mad there. And the good thing about Burning Man, I know there's a lot of, I don't know, actually, I don't know if there are any Burning Man haters, but they bring a lot of new art techniques back to, like, lame, square people like me to be able to see on the outs of Burning Man. So, fire truck going by, not the crucible, forge fire truck. So, yeah, if you need to do some for- – or you could go to, like, one of those forts where they do reenactments where they have the people in the old dress or farms. You know, go go check out some forging, homework. If you live in a country where you actually learn stuff, so you're low in historical reenactments but steeped in actual knowledge, you might not need to know. So you got steel. Now you might be asking yourself, like I am, well, you know, what 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 – so there's steel and a sword. Best sword is Valerian steel, but that's ma- imaginary. What's the best sword steel I could get if I was gonna go out and get a sword and start LARPing? I think that's from like ten, fifteen years ago. Or you know, actual. What if uh, Middle Ages come back all of a sudden and I need to start uh, hacking at people? I mean, I don't see that happening. But what if? So let's. I'm gonna get go to my notes now. We're gonna give you a little rundown on what 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 to look for in steel sword steel. Now this is from uh, SwordManufacturersGuide.com. Sword-Manufacturers-Guide.com. Common steel swords 101. Okay, first type of steel you might be thinking is stainless steel. Stainless steel swords too brittle normally. For serious usage. So if you're a serious sword user, and by that, I guess serious sword users would be people that don't date serial killers and um, general menaces to society. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not, I shouldn't be making fun of serious sword users. Jeez. So, yeah, I guess... Stainless steel. Oh, to get technical with it, here we go. This is a quote right off of swordmanufacturedguide.com. To get a little technical with it, stainless steel is stainless because it has a high chromium content, over 11%. So when the blade gets long, it's, you know, it starts the steel weakens, causing stress points. So if you're going to have a stainless steel sword, they say, just put it on the wall. Next part, what about uh, plain carbon steel swords? That's the first thing I ask myself. What about it? All right, for plain carbon steel, it's going to be a, if it's properly tempered, it's a functional sword. Now, you're going to want a high carbon steel sword. Generally, they go by the automotive engineer's scale. Um, That's what sword manufacturers use. Most commonly used steel for functional swords is plain carbon steel. Signified by the digits, 
You want it between 0 0.05 and 0 0.15, maybe. I don't know. Uh, that's even boring. I can't even follow that. Well, let's talk about types of carbon steel. You got your 1045 carbon. It's quite cheap to make these swords out of steel out of this steel because it's relatively soft. I mean, it's easier to make, but it can be hardened. So this is the minimum if you're going to be a serious sword user is your 1045 carbon steel. But you could probably pick one of these up for about 100, under 100 bucks. So if you're looking for affordable seats, functional, I mean, you you know, you're not going to be battling the hound. But if you're like Arya, you're on a budget, go ahead and get one of the 1045s. Next up, 1060 carbon steel. 1060, it's a great compromise between hardness, pliability, and durability. And there's a couple manufacturers listed. I don't want to, you know, bias your purchases since I'm not a serious sword user. But 1060 is popular. They're harder than 1045, but they're more difficult to forge. You want to buy it from someone that knows what they're doing. So definitely, according to the sword manufacturer's guide, it's a good all-around. It's going to make a good, a good all-around sword that's hard enough to keep your edge durable. You can bump it up to 1095 carbon if you need to. It's very hard. But unless it's properly heat treated, it can be uh, problematic if it's used on a harder target. They talk about somebody that did it against some big piece of bone, not a human bone, and it broke. But again, you keep a good, it keeps a good edge. But they're brittle, and the last thing you want to do is get a sh you know shattering sword. That's going to be no good. Okay, you might be asking yourself, you know what? I ran into some carbon steel dealers, and they're scumbags. You got anything other than carbon steel I can make my sword out of? Sure, spring steel. You might, spring steel? What is it? I don't fucking know. It's spring steel. Uh, there's two types of spring steel swords. You got your 5160 and your 9260. And let's take a look at these according to the Sword Manufacturer's Guide. 5160 is a low chromium alloy steel. It's got a 0.7 chromium, which is doesn't push it in the stainless category, people. Uh, stainless, you got to be 13%. But it's got a little bit of silicon in there, so it makes it tough and durable. And it's favored by some sword make makers. Uh... Whoa, it says that some, the Nepalese Kuroiki has blades so tough and sharp it was able to cut off a buffalo's head. Good God. I mean, my soul just started weeping. Cutting off buffalo's heads? I don't know, man. Don't do that, okay? Even if it's frozen. Yeah, wow. Um, then you, so that's a 5160. I'm already against spring steel because they're cutting buffaloes. You get your uh, 9260 spring steel. This is made famous by this one guy. Uh, it's got some silicon in there. It's got dramatic resilience for lateral bends. I mean, you know, if you're going to have a sword, you want to do some lateral bends. Well, these swords are almost legendary for their toughness. Again, quoting from this sword manufacturer's guide, like any blade, they are not indestructible. So... You know, be careful. You know, don't go taking on a, uh, I don't know, a concrete block. 
Okay, guys? And please don't chop any buffalo heads off. Uh, the moral of the story is no blade is indestructible. Now, you might be like, dude, enough with the swords. What about tool steel? If you're a steelhead, metalhead, I mean, is that a type of steelhead? I guess it's a fish. But tool steel, again, probably steel used in tools. Tool steel has been quite popular lately. So this is a fad steel, but it might be a fad that's going to stay. Uh, they're hard and tough, and they hold a good edge. Now you get your T10 tungsten alloy steel. That sounds cool. That's I don't know what tungsten is, but it sounds cool. High carbon content, a little bit of silicon, uh, often referred to as high-speed steel. I think that'll be a high-speed steel. Uh, stuff's pretty hard. It's got to be well-tempered. Resistance to scratches and abrasions. Considerably tougher to other swords with the same amount of carbon. Then you got your uh, L6 Bane Knight. Uh, this is for band saw steel. And I guess this dude, it, it's the toughest sword on the market, according to this, if it's properly heat treated. And I guess this guy, Howard Clark. I don't think it's the Howard Clark that like tells you how to save money. But, uh, yeah, he, he was a smith for the Bugai Trading Company. Started doing this in the 90s. And uh, it's going to cost you a lot of money. But L6 Bayonite, Bayonite, I mean, that's just, it's got, is that the one that has tungsten? Oh, no, that's the other one, I think. But whatever, you could say that. You got this thing from Howard Clark. There's also Damascus steel or folded blades. And these guys say that's garbage, so... Don't waste your time with that. I hope that clears it up. I mean, if I was going to get it, whew, I think I'd probably go with a T10 so I could have a tungsten blade. But I might go with this Howard Clark. Um, I mean, of course, Valerian steel would be nice. But, yeah, so that's uh, – I, uh, I hope you learned about swords. But let's talk about what's dangerous, swords or people. They're both dangerous. If you have if if you have a man in the house, don't buy a sword because it's gonna get used. If you're a woman, you're a wife, a girlfriend, a mother, don't don't let a sword in your house. And I'm telling you the honest truth. Sorry guys. If I I'm like an adult, if and I don't have anyone that's gonna be bringing a sword home, but if I had noticed a sword was home, I was home for like home alone for maybe. After like an hour and 45 minutes of doing stuff, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that sword is up there. And then, I mean, I remember, wow, okay, we're getting off track here, but this maybe is what you guys like. There was one time I was home alone at my house, and I went into the cutlery rack, and we had like a, a butcher's knife, real nice one. I think it, it wasn't, it was like a, my mom is from the same town as uh, Cutco, which is a famous knife company maybe not famous for their quality but for their their sales but she had a cut co some sort of thing i started wielding that thing like it was a machete and uh i'm from a big family so we had picnic table type seating in our kitchen and i started just chopping at the uh the bench like a lunatic i mean and again i wasn't doing this out of spite it's just out of 
male. That's, that's what I'm telling you not to bring a sword home because you never know what a dude is just going to do stuff. It's not not to be bad. It's just because got a sword or a knife. I'm going to chop stuff. I'm sorry. It's like it is in your DNA somehow. We're idiots. So I'm chopping this thing. And then, I don't know, I must have got in trouble bad or I blamed someone else. But this is where karma comes in for real. So I don't know if it was the same night or or a little bit after, I ran into the kitchen and slid onto the bench. And I got the biggest, um, like where I chopped a like section a piece of wood what do they call those things a sliver but like the size of my finger jammed into my thigh um I don't, I don't remember I didn't go to the emergency room but six kids you ain't taking I mean that's nothing pull it out I mean it's pretty cool actually having that lodged in me I pulled it out actually easier to pull out than a a small thing but that was karma that, that hurt so yeah, so don't bring swords home. And I'm sorry to the guys out here that might be listening that, you know, you got your eye on that tungsten sword. You know, get a storage unit hanging in there. I mean, that's probably where you're going to need to go anyway. You know, live out of your storage unit when uh, whatever, the like, the moon crashes into the sun or something, you know. And then you'll need your sword. So, yeah, just don't bring it home because we're going to chop stuff probably... You know, you might come home some of your chat. What happened to Grandma's plates that she gave me? And if your husband's smart, it's just, or your boyfriend or kid, they'll either blame someone else or they'll keep quiet until you figure it out. So no swords. I didn't, I didn't expect to talk about this. That's like uh, the game of drones. I'm droning on here about nothing. Let's move on. All right. Next up is the uh, Reigns of Castamere, which is the Lannister song. And uh, if you watch Game of Thrones, you're familiar with this song because it's a wonderful song. Unfortunately, I didn't look into the the real-life backstory behind who wrote the music for the song and how, how did they work with HBO and, and, you know, George Martin and to come up with the song. But there's some wonderful versions played there. I know one is by The National. I looked because I had this version stuck in my head in the off-season – Maybe I think since last season to this season, and then I looked up the national version played by the band, the national. Uh, I don't think it's the same, uh, but I'll have to like do some more research because it's like the national version is this very deep voice. Uh, and who are you, the proud? Uh, well, we'll get into the lyrics of the song, but why is it the Lannister song? Well, guess what? It's about Tywin. It turns out that Tywin's dad was this dude. Let me look at my notes so I get a little more accurate. Okay, so this is from uh, Game of Thrones Wicca.com. And it, the Reign of Casimir, Reigns of Casimir is the destruction of the House Reign by Tywin Lannister. And I guess uh, House Reign rose up against their liege lord, Tywin's dad, Titos. Which isn't Titos one of the uh, giants in hell, I think, uh, who they were seeing as a weak lord. So he sent in Tywin, which, I mean, damn, a young Tywin. I mean, Tywin is like this crafty-ass old man now. 
So don't mess with Tywin, apparently, which we already should have known that. Even his kids know it. Whew, I mean, what a father. Holy mother. So Tywin shows up, I guess. It doesn't really... Uh, it doesn't really get into exactly what he... He just destroyed it, the reins, killed everybody. Um, wiped them literally from the face of that earth, from Westeros. And so... Um, Somebody wrote this song about it. And that's pretty interesting that, uh, I don't know, that's like, uh, it seems a little uh, dangerous to have a song, have your family song about B, the current generation. Like maybe, I mean, Taiwan seem. I mean, that, I don't know. It seems like you're asking for trouble, in my opinion. And that, wow, I mean, but Taiwan must be really loved by his men. We don't really see, I mean, now that he's like the hand... Basically, he's running the things, puppet master. You don't really see a lot of him interacting with the commoners, but maybe he would, Maybe he is beloved by the, uh, at least the Lannister soldiers he's beloved by. But so, it's about the destruction of House Rain, and I really like the lyrics. Uh, so let me let me do the my version of it. Um, and who are you? The proud Lord said. That I must bow so low Only a cat of a different goat And that is all I know A coat of gold or a coat of red A lion still has claws And mine are long and sharp Oh wait, I screwed it up And mine... Oh, no, okay, because this is when the Nationals really, the National nails it here. And mine, iron still has claws, and mine are long and sharp, my lord, as long and sharp as yours. And so, and so he spoke, and so he spoke, that lord of Castamere, and now the rain weep over us all. No one there to hear, and now the rains we bore this hall, and not a soul to hear. So sorry, I mean I'm not the best singer, but and I'm not throwing Nat the National in the bus, but like I still have this like haunting version from the show at some point, and maybe it is the National version. I just haven't listened to it without being distracted. It's like. We bore his hall, like this haunting was hall, and not a soul to hear. I'm backing him from the mic because I'm so not a singer. I mean, I'm I sing for this podcast, but so interesting lyrics. And if you want me to break them down, it's pretty simple. It's like this Lord of Castamere, or yeah, that Lord of Castamere. Uh, it's, it's like, who the fuck are you? It says, uh, and who are you? The proud Lord said that I must bow so low. Like basically a Taiwan's father and maybe a Taiwan. Only a cat of a different coat. Like they're, because they both have lions as their house sigil or whatever, house animal. That I must bow so low. Only, you're only a different lion. Like you're, you're nobody to me, kind of. A coat of gold, or that's the Lannisters, or a coat of red. That must have been the 
rain, and then they were red because they were blood. A lion still has claws, and mine are sharp, long and sharp. My lord is long and sharp as yours. Dude was wrong about that. But that's like the Lannisters, and so he spoke, and so he spoke. That lord of Casimir, and now the rains weep over his hall, and no one's there to hear. So, in this case, the Lannisters did pay their debts, I guess, uh, for messing with them. So don't mess with the Tywin, is uh, the message of that song. Beautiful, beautiful. Performed many different ways. And uh, just one of those nice, real nice touches that uh, Game of Thrones has. Because, you know, I've read uh, a fair amount of fantasy fiction. I'm no expert. But uh, I've read through a lot of Dragonlance I went through a Dragonlance phase twice where I read through a lot of those books. And uh, I read, a, I didn't read all the Robert Jordan books or all the Game of Thrones books, but I've read a fair, fair, I read more of the Robert Jordan. I probably read five or six of those. And the Robert Jordan books, just if you read fantasy or you've read Game of Thrones, a little bit more of like a PG Game of Thrones is how I'd say it. Um, maybe even a G plus, no, PG. People, the characters are younger. I still enjoyed it, and they're really thick. Um, I never finished the series because, again, there's like 12, 14 books, and they're all like eight, 900 pages, and uh, I got distracted. So, But, uh, you know, I, I do have a nice place in my heart for those characters as well. And then the other big, I think at work, I work a little bit with books, like I said, and... Uh, so we call it the big three, like uh, fantasy authors. I don't know if that's in public. I don't know if anybody else calls it that. Just what we call it: Robert Jordan, Terry Goodkind, which I have not read, and George R. R. Martin. All right, let's just move on to prosthetic limbs. Now, the first thing about this episode about the prosthetic limb is Jamie, his right hand is missing. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I'll, I'll do spoilers, but I want to do a spoiler about that in case you haven't seen it. But the first thing I had to look up is when uh, his new hand that Cersei gives him, metal hand, it's a fist actually, or it's shaped in a fist. Again, interesting. Is it had a metaphor? Everything that these um, creatives, create creators, the creators of Game of Thrones. The original creator, George R. R. Martin, and then Weiss and Benioff, whose names I messed up and said they were both named Dan, which I'm an idiot. Uh, a lot of, they're choosing this stuff, and their art directors and everyone collaborating with them is choosing. So it's like, again, I don't know from the source material was that if always a fist, but the one, so I had to look up gilded steel because it was like a Tyrion. I was like, oh, is that a gold hand or something? And he's like, oh, no, gilded steel. What's gilded steel? It's uh, steel, which we covered, <laughs> alloy of uh, iron and uh, another element, carbon usually, a, or metal and carbon. I don't know. But gilded means it has uh, something added to it, gold leaf or silver leaf. In this case, it looked like gold leaf. could be brass, I think. I don't know. Actually, I didn't look that up, but I, I, I'm assuming it was a gold leaf added to it. Again, is that symbol like a gold leaf? You know, not solid gold. I don't. I don't know. I'm digging for 
themes, but that's, I mean, again, to go back to why, why I love Game of Thrones, that, that isn't why. I mean, that's a reason you could love Game of Thrones. Maybe it is a reason, like, that's a little bit of a a puzzle box or so multi-layered. But, again, you got these just these two brothers sitting around, and they're talking about his brother's new metal hand and then spilling wine and all that. Great stuff. But look, So, prosthetic limbs, because uh, Jamie kind of says something like, you know, Hook would have been more useful or something. And that's so I was like, okay, when did pirates really have hooks? And I kind of had a slight pirate uh, episode way, 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 way back when we covered uh, The Walking Dead. Um, not even the most recent season. I think the the front half of the most recent season where the governor was still around and he went out on his own and he was a pirate for a little while. He wrote Pirate Erotica. I, I looked into that. But uh, we're talking about pirates. I don't know if we covered the prosthetic limbs of pirates, but it turns out nothing super complicated. So, yeah, pirates might have had hooks because a lot of times they're making these prostheses. Is that the right plural of that? Out of whatever they had. And so they would be you know, using ship parts almost. Uh, let me look at my notes just to give you a little bit more concrete-ish information. Okay, yeah, so this is from... Uh, how stuff works, science.howstuffworks.com. And uh, you know, ancient literature has reference to prosthetic limbs uh, from Greek and Roman times. There was a historical account of Marcus Ser- 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 Sergius, a Roman general who lost his right hand while battling in the Second Punic War. And he had a replacement fashioned out of iron for the purpose of holding his shield so he could return to battle. Pretty bad ass. Um, also, the science at HowStuffWorks.com, it talks about how little um, prostheses have advanced through history, considering the artificial hands and legs of the Dark Ages 2,000 years ago. Oh, nearly 2,000 years later. Oh, 2,000 years after the Roman Wars and the Dark Ages. Uh, the knights in them were already were still, uh, you know, using iron limbs. Yeah, then it goes in to talk about stuff that could be scavenged from pirate ships for pirates. And this part's interesting. In the, and I'll quote right from HowStuffWorks.com. Uh, in the early part of the 16th century, French military doctor Ambrose Paré, famous for his work with amputation techniques, contributed the first major advances in prosthetics. Seen for many years. He invented a hinged mechanical hand and uh, prosthetic legs with locking knees, attaching harnesses. And then around 1690, a Dutch surgeon, Pieter Verdun, developed prosthetic hinges and a leather cuff, which kind of for better attachment to the body, which are still used today. So... I guess it's just boring stuff about the pro- pro- prosthetic limbs. Uh, the main thing is the gilded steel. And this is just a rough episode for Jamie Lannister in general. And uh, it'll be interesting. I still haven't seen the last episode of the season. I don't know how things are going to resolve for a- anyone other than uh, the people that were already resolved. Uh, all right, let's move on to uh, Fools and Jesters. All right, so we're going to talk about fools and jesters because we had appearance of uh, Sir Dantos. Sir Dantos. Uh, 
who Sansa had saved from whatever Joffrey's name, Dave. Not a big deal, but now he's an alcoholic or drunk and the king's fool. And he's kind of in rough shape. And it just, I don't really need to rehash the episode because that's interesting. Uh, But let's talk about fools and jesters for a little while. And all my source material is going to be coming straight from Wikipedia. Um, So, yeah, let's get into it. There's a lot of stuff. A lot lot of, um, I I, I don't know. I don't know if you're like me. Uh, If you're still awake for this segment, it's like jesters and fools are just uh, interesting, you know, that that would be your job. Uh, to entertain king. It seems very stressful, uh, you know, at least how they're portrayed in the media. But let's, okay, so let's talk about it a little bit. Jester, according to Wikipedia, is a historical entertainer, employed to entertain a rule or a nobility in Tudor times, medieval times, or it could be an itinerant performer. Those are more buskers uh, for common folk at fairs and markets. Uh, now they're big in uh, historical reenactment. In medieval times, jesters entertained with a variety of skills, which include songs, music, storytelling, acrobatics, juggling, and magic. Most of the entertainment was in a comic way, and sometimes they would make contemporary jokes about people or events well-known to their audience. The modern word jester did not come into use till mid-16th century Tudor times, T-U-D-O-R. Before this time, they would be known as different terms, jestor, Gestur, full, disur, bo- bo- border. Uh, in the earlier times, described entertainers differed in skills but shared similarities in comedic performance. Let's get, I'll just bust through some highlights here. Tradition of court jesters, interestingly enough, in England and Britain uh, came to an end when Charles I was overthrown in the Civil War. As a Puritan Christian Republic, England under uh, Lord Protector Oliver Cromwell had no place for such things as jesters. And they also lost a lot of actors and entertainers who relocated to Ireland. So, wow, that's that's Oliver Cromwell. I don't don't like the looks. I don't like the sound of him. Uh, After Restoration, Charles II did not reinstate the court jester. Uh, though he did patronize theater and music hall entertainers. Uh, in the 18th century, jesters had died out except in Russia, Spain, and Germany. In France and Italy, traveling groups of jesters performed plays featuring stylized characters. As late as 1968, the Canada Council awarded $3,500 to Joachim Focus of Vancouver to be the town fool. So that's pretty sweet. That guy was the uh, town fool of Vancouver, 1968. Um, a couple famous jesters just in here. Uh, oh, no, wait, erase that. Oh, no, yeah. Talks a little bit about Poland's most famous jester was uh, Stanzik, whose jokes were related to political matters and who later became a, a historical symbol for Poles. I don't know if that's a if that's where a pejorative nastiness about Poles comes from. Um, that's interesting. If they dig deeper on that, one of us will. 
Uh, but uh, that's another theme that comes up a lot in this jester fool's huff is uh, that usually is like a little bit of a biting, either passive-aggressive or aggressive edge to their humor, uh, depending on, um, I guess, who they're performing for, like how comfortable and how good a sense of humor the lord or the royalty they're performing for is. 2004, English Heritage performed Nigel Roder, Kester the Jester, as the state jester for England. So England brought it back at some point. Uh, he was the first, oh yeah, at this point, 2004, he was the first since Muckle John, 350 five years before that. Um, however, following objection by the National Guild of Jesters, English Heritage accepted they weren't authorized to grant such a title. Poor Kester the Jester. That, that, that's kind of stuff that should happen to fools and jesters. It's like, oh, you're the royal fool. Oh, no, you're not. The Even though we haven't had a royal fool for 350 years, your uh, lobbying council, the Council of Fools, has decided they don't want you to be the uh, royal fool. They'd rather have no... Wow, this stuff is gold. Sometimes this is what's good about when you dig, uh, about stuff that interests you. Okay, first we have... I mean, I... This is what I'm discovering as I did this research, and now I'm rehashing it for you. But okay, so the pejorative things about polls, you know, a lot of times, this might have been 20, 30 years ago, is more prevalent, especially in the Rust Belt where I grew up, of like nastiness against Polish people. There's a lot of Polish jokes. Is it because of this uh, Stanz, Stanzik that he was so famous? I can't, I know I'm not pronouncing it right. If anyone in Poland or of Polish descent is listening, please email me and um, let me know about more about any, uh, if any of this is ringing Trudy or ringing a bell, I'd love to hear it. And then we get into this English heritage. I mean, this, and uh, protecting my rights uh, by broadcasting this, I do have some rights to these stories, but what a story. I guess I don't have the rights to this Nigel Rode or Kester the Jester's life story, but how... Interesting that in 2004, England hadn't had a royal jester in 355 years after this whole Oliver Cromwell thing. And then he gets appointed royal jester in the <laughs> the Guild of Jesters pulls it back. I mean, I don't know if I'm – I mean, hopefully you're asleep. But, I mean, that's just – that's such a, a freaking jester move. Uh, Germany – Someone whose name I'll never pronounce, Till Eulen Spiegel. Oh, we got Spiegel. We were talking about Spiegel tent recently. Uh, Eulen Spiegel is a folk roller hero back to medieval times. Uh, Fatching or carnival time, mocking politicians again, that same theme. Our public at theaters, political satire. Oh, this is, um, you know, buzzwords. You guys know buzzwords. Zeitgeist, that was one I, I always forget the meaning of. It's like of our times. And that's what uh, this Till Ewan Spiegel's job was. He was to hold a mirror to make us aware of our times. Zeitgeist. Uh, and his scepter, his bauble, was a symbol of his power. So again, Zeitgeist, that's always a word that people like to use to sound smart. Myself included, I think I've used it uh I think I, I can't remember in a blog post 
back when I was trying to blog to promote the podcast instead of just making more podcasts. Um, but yeah, it's zeitgeist of our times. Uh, wow. Okay, a little bit more history, then we'll move on. Uh, 17th century Spain. Oh, no, that's pretty offensive stuff. Uh, in Japan, 13th and 19th centuries, they had male geishas who uh, dealt with the feudal lords and entertained them through dancing and storytelling and were at times consulted for strategic advice. Interesting. Tonga was the first royal court to appoint a court gesture in modern times. Uh, tupo, tupoyo, tup, tupu, the uh, fourth, the king of Tonga, appointed J.D. Bogdanov. Bogdanov. That guy sounds like he could be from U.S. of A. J.D. Bogdanov. Bog, I'm sorry, I'm pronouncing, I'm sorry, J.D. Bogdanov. Uh, 1999, but he was embroiled in a financial scandal later again. Uh, wow. Real life can be really interesting, you know. Uh, but we're trying to concentrate on a game of drones here, and this is I'm droning on. Uh, the Let's get into um, the root of the word fool is from the Latin phallus, which means a bag of wind or that which contains air or breath. Again, this is from Wikipedia, so some of this could be made up. But in tarot, uh, the fool is a card of the major arcana, and it's a depiction of the fool. includes a man, or less often a woman, juggling, unconcerned or distracted with a dog, sometimes a cat, at its heels. The fool is in the act of unknowingly walking off the edge of a cliff, precipice, or other high place. I guess I am a fool. Another tarot character is death. Sometimes shown in jester garb because the last laugh is best reserved for death. And death humbles everyone just as jesters make fun of everyone regardless of standing. Okay, a couple more things uh, about Shakespearean fools and then we'll just move on to like me talking, uh, going over the list of fools. Uh, in Shakespearean, of course, there was a lot of fools in Shakespeare, which we can go through, but... Uh, the Fool is not a new character on stage. Indeed, according to Wikipedia, a tradition has developed from Roman times through medieval times in which fools entertained a varied public. The Fool's perhaps reached its pre-Shakespearean heights as the court jester throughout Europe. The jester was dynamic and changing part of entertaining aristocratic households. And the entertainment varied greatly. Shakespeare both borrowed from this motif of the jester and contributed to its rethinking, whereas the jester of the royal courts often regaled his audience with various skills to amuse Shakespeare's fool. In sync with Shakespeare's revolutionary ideas about theater, began to depart from the simple way of representation. Like other characters, fool began to speak in narrow confines, uh, and to speak outside the narrow confines of ex exemplary morality to address themes of love, psychic turmoil, and all of the other innumerable themes that arise in Shakespeare. Uh, there was this guy, his most famous fool, the actor that played his f most famous fools was Robert Arman. Uh, and 
Shakespeare. It says he liked to write the roles for him. Some have argued that the clowning in Shakespeare's plays may have been intended as emotional vacation for the more serious business of the main action. Clowning scenes in Shakespeare's strategy often appear right after a horrific scene. Uh, examples are the grave diggers in Hamlet, after the death of Ophelia, the porter in Macbeth, after the death of the king, and as Cleopatra prepares for her death, um, somebody else. Oh, it is argued that Shakespeare's clowning goes beyond comic relief, instead making the horrific or deeply complex scenes more understandable due to the true realities of living then and now by shifting focus from the fictional world to the audience's reality and thereby conveying more effectively the theme of drama. Whew, that's, that's I just only read that to... Uh, Yes, I only read through that to bore you and maybe make you think I sounded smart, but um, yeah, is it, was it like, is it goofing after tragedy? Or, I mean, that's a necessary thing, I think, to have people catch their breath or to to even out your emotions. I don't know. Let's not dig too, let's, let's, uh, let's just uh, do a list. And I'm going to go through uh, famous gestures, both from Shakespeare and the world at large, according to Wikipedia. And then I'm going to close out with a little song. And this is going to be a super long episode. So I hope it helps you fall asleep. And I hope you enjoyed this first episode of uh, Game of Drones. And, um, you know, it's an unpolished thing. It's a work in progress. So thank you for listening. And I'll just be uh, going on and droning on. All right. Let me uh, lay this on your sweet little ears here. We already talked about Stanzik, the Polish jester, from 1480 to 1560. You had William Somers, who died in 1560. Uh, he was the jester of Henry VIII. 1560 is a bad year for jesters, I guess. Uh, Chico, C-H-Chicot. Uh, he was the jester of Henry III. He lived uh, from 1540 to 1591. I don't know who's ordering these things. Archibald Armstrong died in 1672. He was a jester of James VI. Archibald Armstrong. Stretch Armstrong, but... Jeffrey Hudson, 1619 to 1682. He was... Oh, there's another pejorative term. Court dwarf Henrietta Maria of France. Michael John, of course, we know about Michael John, jester of Charles I until he got tossed out by religion. Until, until he got tossed out by Cromwell. I mean, there's no another path we could go down. Is this Oliver Cromwell, hater of jesters and fools? And then when I think about Cromwell, I think about um, James Cromwell. And then I think about Babe, Pig in the City. Think about Patricia Cromwell. Uh, uh, yeah, no, no need to though. Michael John, Jamie Fleeman, seventeen thirteen to seventeen seventy eight. He was the Laird of Undy's Fool. Uh, per Ko of Heidelberg, eighteenth century jester of Prince Charles the uh, Third. 
Jesse Bandagoff, we covered him. He was born in 1955. Court jester and financial advisor. Holy shit, you got to be fucking kidding me. So that was the guy embroiled in the financials. Again, we could write about 15 movies or make about six documentaries just based on digging through this Wikipedia stuff due to trying to find boring stuff about Game of Thrones. The world is really sometimes is a wonderful place. Um, man, I mean, this is really written here. Court jester and financial advisor. Like, those are two things that should never... I mean, only in the... I mean, this is where you can't write this shit. Court jester and financial advisor. It says it right in front of me. I mean, one of my heroes is um, Kurt Vonnegut and... I mean, this is the kind of stuff you read a book by Kurt Vonnegut to... F oh, man. Uh, Pocket, he was King Lear's fool and Christopher Moore's novel, Fool, which retells King Lear. Christopher Moore, uh, I've been told by more than one person to read his books. It's on my... Uh, I'm, it's just cool, too, that it came up because it's on my um, radar that I haven't read any Christopher Moore books. I think Christopher Moore is the one who wrote... Even Cowgirls Get the Blues and some other books. And someone was, got, got into an argument. Well, I think it was a flirt. It was flirting. But this was like a long time ago. Don't worry about it. Um, with this young woman. And she was knocking me and knocking Kurt Vonnegut and James Thurber and dropping this Christopher Moore stuff on me. But I told her I would read it, and I will. Uh, Wamba was the jester in Sir Walter Scott's Ivanhoe, Dragonette, jester to King Arthur in medieval romances, Jack Point, the tragic, tragic, tragic jester in The Yeoman of the Guard, Vernence and Terry Pratchett's Weird Sisters, Hop Frog, uh, that was a short story by Edgar Allan Poe, Towser was the jester to King John the Presbyter, in Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn by Tad Williams. Mr. Harley Quinn and Agatha Christie's The Mysterious Mr. Quinn. Uh, Jack Cornelius is also a jester figure. The Jester, 2003 novel by James Patterson. The Fool, a court jester in Robin Hobbs. The Realm of the Elderlings, The Queen's Fool, a novel by Philippa Gregory. Something from Dostoevsky's The Idiot, which I can't pronounce. The Jester of uh, the plays of Dario Fo, Rigoletto, uh, from Rigoletto, Giuseppe Verdi's opera. I think that's the only opera I've seen. I think I saw it at the New York Met. I think it was at the Met. Maybe, I don't think it was at the City Opera. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. Bear, the jester on Crispin Cross of Lead, Till Euland Spiegel. We've talked about him. Uh, live entertainment, we got Peterkin the Fool, professional jester, official jester of Bristol. He's the current jester of English heritage. So Peterkin might be the uh, the top jester now, official. Jem Hubert, Holbert, uh, Tara the jester. Jonathan the Jester. He's the official Jester of Salisbury. 
and Salisbury Stakes everywhere. Barry Levy, the jester, he's a professional jester, second official jester of a little, little coat house, and then a lot of other stuff. Jane the Fool, she's a municipal jester of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Cool. Uh, Milwaukee came up in another podcast episode, I think. Um, the Fool Monty, professional jester of Warwick Castle. He's a fire breather, too. Chris Catchett, uh, Derbyshire. Alex G, Montreal. HRH, Mike Chester. What does that mean? N- Nigel Roder. He was... <laughs> Man, they really kick it to him. Nigel Roder, a.k.a. Chester the <laughs> Chester the Jester, briefly designated the official state jester of England in 2004. Uh, Clopin was the uh, in the Hunchback to Notre Dame. Giacomo, the king of the jesters from the court jester in 1956. Is that the Danny K movie? Timothy Claypool. He was in some BBC children's drama. Uh, the photojournalist from Apocalypse Now, they say, is a Harlequin figure. A couple, let's just run through uh, Shakespeare's jesters. You got Touchstone from As You Like It, The Fool, and King Lear. Pretty straight up uh, Triniculo and The Tempest. He, he was pretty important, I think. Custard in uh, Love's Labored Lost. Feste, Feste in Twelfth Night. Lancelot Gobo, Merchants of Venice. Lavash, Lavache. All's well that ends well. A fool, Timon of Athens, Nick Bottom in Midsummer's Night Dream, Therestes and Trolius and Chrysidia, the clown and Othello, Dromeo of Syracuse and Dromeo of Ephesus, the comedy of airs, Speed and Two Gentlemen of Verona. Launce and Two Gentlemen of Verona, The Gravediggers and Hamlet, Citizen, Julius Caesar, Pompey and Measure for Measure, Clown, and uh, Auto Class, Winner's Tale, Grumio, Taming of the Shrew, The Porter and Macbeth, Mercurt, Mercurt, the guy from Romeo and Juliet, Cloten and Cymbeline and Falstaff and Henry the Fourth, Part One. And part two. Again, you guys don't make, need to make fun of me. I'm not good at pronouncing stuff. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I really wish I was. And, and this is a, a poor me thing. We do need to buckle down and read some more Shakespeare. Because Shakespeare is really one of the best. And uh, so that's something, um, something for me to think about. And I don't know when I pitched you guys on doing this Game of Thrones segment. Or uh, as a weekly thing, if I told you, uh, this is actually the first after um, last season, season three. I think it was the ninth episode, uh, the Red Wedding episode, which I think is called the Reign of Casimir, Reigns of Casimir. I think I don't know. That was when I was originally going to start this podcast, and one of the series was going to be boring parts of Game of Thrones, but I didn't follow through on it. But I did write that, um, or outline that episode. And one of the things that uh, I did, and I don't know if I already sang this song, but uh, I'm going to sing it again. 
because it's the end of the episode and nobody's probably listening, I hope. But it's also like an important thing uh, to me because it was like the first uh, thing I did to not start this podcast, but when the podcast was on my mind. And it's a song about uh, Roos Bolton, uh, who I think I incorrectly called the Blackfish at some point. But Roos Bolton, who's now in season four, is playing a much bigger role. Um, and it's a song I call um, uh, Ruining Roos Bolton, I guess would be the, the title. Uh, so uh, here, here it goes. All right, here it goes. I hope you're asleep, and I'll try to do this. I'm going to back up a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. Yes, I rule you. Bolton, ruining, ruining, Roos Bolton, ruining, Roos, I rue, yes, I rue you, Roos Bolton, yes, I rue you, Roos Bolton, Roos, yes, I rue you, ruining, ruining, Roos Bolton, Yes, I rule you. Who's Bolton? Yes, I rule you. Cause I rule you. Cause I rule you. Rose Bolton, and I'm ruining. Ruining Rose. Ruining Rose. Rose, I rule you. Yes, I rule you. Rose Bolton. Ruining Rose. Yes, I rule you. Rose Bolton. I rule you. Rose Bolton. Yes, I rule you. And I could go on for hours doing that. And you might be saying to yourself, one, thanks for waking me up or I was asleep. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll try to de-amplify that the best I can. Um, and you might be saying, what the hell, dude? Rue, Rue, yeah, I pity the fate of Roos Bolton because he's going to pay for his debts. That's what I mean when I say I rue him. And I was really ticked off at that guy. And at the same time, again, the actor... The acting of the actor that plays Bruce Bolton, and I apologize, sir, for not knowing your name. Like I dropped the Charles Dance earlier, but I'm sorry. But man, the chops on that guy playing Bruce Bolton. Good again. Um, I do not rue the actor playing Bruce Bolton. No, I don't rue you. Except I rue that you won't be able to play him at some point anymore. But, yeah, um, so that's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope I didn't re-wake you up singing that. If I listen to it in the edit and it sucks, I won't put it in there. Um, and I hope you get a good night's sleep. And I hope it, you're not listening to this and that uh, Game of Thrones worked for you because I love Game of Thrones, especially season four. And I'm, I'm going to see this out for at least this season for ten episodes. So, thanks.